Hey, this is Barbara Corcoran, and you're tuned in to Business Unusual. Throw away your Harvard degree and listen to me. You're going to learn a lot more. Today, I'm going to answer all your burning questions about work, life, starting a company, getting on track, and much, much more. Be sure to call in to the Business Unusual hotline with your question at 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. I had 22 jobs before I started my real estate business, but one of the jobs I loved the most was waitressing. I probably learned more through my waitressing positions than any other job I ever had. Let me tell you what I learned, because you can learn a lot behind the counter. Lesson one, I learned that you need to have a gimmick to get customers to come sit at your counter versus the next babe who's at the next counter trying to get them to hers. You need a marketing hook to stand apart for the next waitress. I was competing at my counter with Gloria, who was the sensation at the Fort Lee Diner. And let me tell you, she had a gimmick that couldn't be beat. She would balance two coffee cups in each hand, that's four, two more on each breast, that's eight, because she had such a huge chest that she could actually balance coffee cups on it. Every guy within 60 miles knew Gloria and they came to sit at her counter while I cleaned my counter for the fifth time that day. That's a problem. So I needed to have a gimmick. I needed to compete with Gloria. So I decided to braid my long blonde hair that would sit on my round, fat, chubby cheeks and be the sweet little girl at the next counter. To really trim myself up, I decided to put red ribbons on the end of each pigtail. And do you know what that got me? When Ramon Simone walked in, he wanted to sit at my counter, and I learned that men are just as attracted to the great white virgin as they are the blonde bombshell. That was a lucky break. Once Ramon Simone gave me a ride home, he became my boyfriend, then became my business partner. And because of a $1,000 loan from him, I was able to build my first success, which was the Corcoran Simone Company. Of course, you probably have heard the story that once he ran away with my secretary, I had to start all over, and that became the Corcoran Group Company. I learned in building my business that I needed to have gimmicks if I was going to get publicity. When I read one day that one co-op board in Manhattan was actually asking to interview the dogs before they would approve people moving in, I thought, how absurd. But one quick second later, I thought, what a great story. And so I offered to the press to come and watch me teach dogs how to interview in Central Park and put out a cry to all my agents to bring their dogs over to Central Park and I taught them how to shake hands and sit and be well behaved so that if anyone needed to get through a board process, their dog would be approved. Absurd, don't you think? But it was on the front page of the New York Post and it got me a ton of business. When I got my first big deal listing, the Guggenheim Mansion, I couldn't believe we had a million dollar listing. It was one of the highest priced listings of all time. But how was I going to get a customer to come and see the mansion? It was an original condition. It probably needed $500,000 worth of work at that time. And nobody was coming and calling. But then I found the gimmick in the basement. It was an old safe that hadn't been opened in over 100 years. And so I sent an invitation out to everyone in the press, come and see what's in the safe. We're opening it Monday morning at nine o'clock. Of course, Katie Couric came in with all of her staff. Michael Jackson came in. They all wanted to see what was in the safe. And what did that get me? 
not only customers, but priceless publicity. I had a gimmick and we sold that Guggenheim mansion, not because it was owned by the Guggenheim, but simply because we had that crazy safe in the basement. P.S. There was nothing in the safe when we opened it. (laughs) I was curious too. I was hoping something was there. It was just an empty safe. But by then we already had many bids. We already had the publicity we needed to drive other customers in. On Shark Tank recently, I invested in a silly little business called Comfy. They're kind of like long, oversized sweatshirts, enormously comfortable. Well, within one year, I've had $40 million in sales. My gosh, what could possibly happen to create $40 million in sales? What did happen is Cindy Crawford happened to post a photo of herself jumping on her bed in a Comfy that a friend had given it to her. And so, of course, we started a jumping competition. I jumped to see if I could jump better and prettier than Sydney Crawford. Of course I couldn't. And everyone started submitting their videos. If you got a video, maybe you're better than Sydney Crawford. Post it on comfy.com. But either way, we ran that little video up the flagpole and it resulted in $40 million sale. Just another pure, simple gimmick that had appeal to people and people started buying the comfy. If you're listening and have a fabulous comfy, let me just remind you again, it's not too late. Compete with me. You'll see me. I've got good legs. I can jump high. Maybe you could do a better job and make sure you tag me. Here's the next lesson I learned behind the counter as a waitress. Personality counts. Waitressing is a selling job first and a service job second. A lot of people think it's about delivering the food and the hot coffee. Certainly that's part of it. But much, much more important to that job is having personality. Because when you have personality, guess what happens? You get the biggest tips. And that's exactly what I got at my counter. Because I would learn everyone's name. I would flirt with them. If I couldn't remember the guy's name, I'd say, hey, handsome. You know, there's not a guy in the world who won't respond when you say, hey, handsome. They always think it's them. I've been interviewing new salespeople my whole life. And you know what I'm always looking for? Personality. And the best way for me to judge personalities, I ask myself, would I want to have a dinner with them? Are they likable? Would I enjoy myself? That's a nice way to measure a personality. And I only, my entire life, have hired the people that I'd want to sit down and have a dinner with. The best salespeople I learn always have the most engaging personalities. They're simply likable to start off with. And when people like you, you really have a leg up. They want to buy from you. I can tell you sitting 10 years on Shark Tank, when there's a gorgeous girl that pitches a business that none of the sharks are interested in, the minute she leaves the set, all the guys say, wasn't she smart? And I have to correct them and say, no, she wasn't smart. She was just pretty. And that's why you guys are saying she's smart. It happens all the time on Shark Tank. Lesson three, details matter. My counter when I was a waitress was my territory. And if you can control your territory with hyper-focus, you do well. My ketchup bottle was always full. My sugar canister was filled to the top. And I grouped them together so they were parallel and neat as a button. So people assumed if they sat down at my counter that they would get their food fast because it was well-organized. Now, you might say that doesn't make any sense, but that's the impression it created. I knew it, and I made sure everything was organized and in perfect condition. 
I remember trying so hard to remember the names of my customers until I realized I was posting a piece of paper on the back of the counter and I jotted their first names in the hours they came in. Because customers in a diner always come in the same hours and I was able only then to remember the names and say, hey Joe, how's your day going? In sales, let me tell you, knowing a customer's name and asking them something about them makes a big difference. The biggest problem at Corcoran Group was keeping track of listings long before computers came. And in that business, I had tons of listings that were constantly misfiled, couldn't be found, and so therefore couldn't be sold. I found that at the counter, I learned to organize. And when I was in my business, I decided to color code every one of those listings by size. And after that, I never had a problem finding a listing again. Today, each person that reports to me gives me a Wednesday update. By the end of every Wednesday business day, I have a point paper from everyone, just bullets, bullets, bullets. What they need answers on is on the top because I don't want to hold anything up. Things that are still pending, they tell me they leave it on the list till it's done. And what's been done, they just tell me it's been done. And then it gets knocked off the list. This helps me keep focused and very organized and it helps them too know what's important to me. Organization is what I learned as a waitress that I use in my business every day. Lesson four, politics go a long way with the boss. I was always happy to take the grunt work at first when I worked at any new diner. I would offer myself for the worst shifts where I got the worst pay simply because it was a commission-based business based on tips. I would work midday when no one really came in to order anything. The worst shift in the waitress business is between two o'clock and five. There's no customers. But why did I do it? Because I learned that politics go a long way. Nick at the Fort Lee Diner gave me the good hours in short order because when he was grumpy, I was really nice to him and I was always willing to work for him. Other girls with Nick were grumpy back, but not me. I'm like, how you doing, Nick? Have a nice day, Nick. Have a good night, Nick. Why did that go a long way? Because I was simply nice. And that's another form of politics. When I was young and inexperienced at the Corcoran Group, I remember having a PR disaster that I didn't think I would recover from. I had the editor of the Cranes Business Week print a figure that I handed to him that was wrong and blatantly wrong. I simply misquoted a very important number and it landed front page in his article. He was corrected by so many people who read his article and he was angry. So I thought to myself, this is the end of my publicity. I just made an enemy of one of the smartest guys in town. He wouldn't even take my phone call when I realized my mistake and called him. So what did I do? I got off my butt. I sat in the lobby of his corporate office and I waited for him to come in the next morning from eight o'clock on. I didn't know when he came in. And when I sat there and he saw me as he walked in and me apologizing profusely, guess what happened? He forgave me because I made the effort to make him feel that important. I later found out from him when he became a good business friend that he had killed a bad story that he was about to publish on me. That would have not maybe ruined my business, but my God, that would have set me back. I consider that a near-death experience. But I learned that at the diner by being good to Nick and making sure he felt very important. When I was building my business, I got very large, very fast, and every one of my competitors hated me. And you know what I've learned? I've learned that's a great compliment that you're winning if your competitors hate you. But I love to be loved just like the next guy. When I found out that all my competitors had formed a committee 
to put me out of business because of false advertising that wasn't even false, but they were ganging up. I was scared to death. Even though I know I was in the right, I knew what it meant to be a minority with everybody ganging up against me. And I thought, what would I have done if I was still at the diner? And you know what I did? I went for help. I went to the head of the real estate board, a large developer, and I ate my ego and said, I really need your help. They're after me and I need somebody bigger and stronger than me to reach out and help me. And you know what he did? He sent one email and put it to bed. Over. That's politics. I'm not a believer in the kind of politics where you kiss someone's butt all the time. That's ingratious and doesn't get you anywhere. But you got to know where the power is and you got to know when you have to ask for help. And I learned all about politics by being a waitress. The final lesson is the faster, more efficient you work, the more money you'll make. It's a commission-based business. I would deliver the food fast for one reason only, not because I wanted to get it there hot. Another minute would still be hot, but I wanted to turn over that chair fast so I could get another customer in the seat. I never walked in or out of the kitchen without something in my hand. Today, I live in a luxurious townhouse, has two floors, and old habits are hard to break. You know, I never trot up the stairs or down without something in my hand because I'm still in my mind back at the diner. A few years back, I watched the phenomenal film, The Founder, which was about how McDonald's was started and how it grew. And one scene in this movie had the two founders laying out their shop in a new way on a tennis court. Kind of bizarre, but they were using ropes and tape to lay out their actual restaurant with their goal being simply to deliver a hamburger in less than 60 seconds. They wanted efficiency and they did it again and again from early morning till the sunset until they had it right. When I saw that movie, I told cousins to go watch it. They were about to open up their third franchise at the time, and I didn't believe their franchises were efficient enough. Their lobster rolls were taking longer than 30 seconds to be delivered. So I asked them to watch it. They watched it multiple times until they figured out how to run their lobster truck faster. That can always be done all the time if you just pay attention to the details and get more efficient. Daisy Cakes hotwired her single phone line to my office with 12 phone lines simply because she wanted to sell a lot of cakes when she was overwhelmed by orders coming in when she appeared on Shark Tank. You gotta hand it to Daisy. She thought of a way to really sell a lot of cakes by making her problem my problem, and I got it done. That was lesson five at the diner. The faster and more efficient you work, the more money you're going to make, and it applies to all business. I still think of waitressing as my most favorite job. It taught me how to sell, taught me how to hustle, taught me how to get along with anybody, and it taught me to be efficient. And so if you want to take a course on how to build a business fast, I suggest you go get yourself a job as a diner waitress. Work there. What? Maybe a month or two, you'll learn more behind the counter than you ever will at the Harvard Business School. You're listening to Business Unusual with Barbara Corcoran. And now it's time to answer your questions on Business Unusual. Hey, Barbara. This is Cebu from New York, Albany City. I was wondering what is the first step we need to take to start a business? If you can shed some light, that would be great. Thank you. I will hope to listen to your podcast. 
Thank you. Bye. Hey, Cebu. The most important step in starting a business is to get it going. The great majority of would-be entrepreneurs I meet all the time will often spend a lot of money and energy getting ready to start, thinking of the idea, asking people about it, mulling about it. But as a result, they never get it off the ground. All you really need to start a business is a few things. You need a prototype of your product or your service, a description of it, and a check from someone who's willing to give you an advance order. That's all you need. You're in business. Then you know you've got the two most important parts covered, what you're going to sell it for and what somebody's willing to pay for it. Then you need to go back and figure out how to make more of it and sell more of it. And guess what? You're up on your own. You're in business. Let me share a story about meeting the Comfy Brothers on Shark Tank in season nine. They stood in front of us, sang a silly jingle about their product, which was basically no product. They only had two prototypes. They also had no sales, no idea what they would sell it for, what it would cost to produce it. It was kind of like what not to do on Shark Tank. And there the two brothers stood grinning ear to ear and just showing us this silly little product that was like an oversized sweatshirt that kind of felt cuddly once we put it on. I just figured, heck. These guys are so funny. These guys are so nice. They're trying so hard. What the heck? I'll plunk down $50,000 for a big chunk of their business. And so I did. I did it mostly because of their energy and their likability. And I noticed that the little comfy that I had on on set really felt kind of cozy. Well, guess what? No one really expected them to get this business up and going, but they had it up and going within two months. They got it going, they got it produced, and here we are less than a year later and they have $40 million in sales. But guess what they had right? They got it going. They simply stitched up two prototypes and pitched it to somebody, and I was a sucker willing to write the check. And that's all the questions we have time for today. If you have a question, leave me a voicemail on the Business Unusual hotline, 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. You can also tweet it to me at Barbara Corcoran, and I may just answer it on a future episode. You've been listening to Business Unusual with me, Barbara Corcoran. Come back next week to hear more steps and missteps I took on the path to success. Business Unusual is part of the iHeartRadio podcast network. Search and follow Business Unusual on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.